This will probably come as a shock to you, but um, sometimes I'm selfish. Actually, it's probably more than sometimes. You're laughing about that because I suspect you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, the reality is to be human, to struggle with our human nature, is to struggle with being selfish. We all wrestle with it. It comes out in our family life. It comes out where we work. It comes out in our relationships. And I know this again is a surprise, but sometimes it comes out in the church. We struggled about being selfish. And one of the ways in which this selfishness works itself out is how we think, what we feel, what we do about the problems, the struggles, the, the reality of evil and the consequences of evil and sin in our world. We are continually confronted with evil and brokenness and pain. We see it all the time. And every day we're confronted with the question, do we care? Does it matter to us? When we read the book of Amos, the underlying premise, the underlying idea of this prophecy is in many ways simply this. In the face of all of the brokenness of the world, in the face of evil and the consequences of evil, God cares. It's important to him. It matters to him. In fact, it matters so much to God that he does something about it. This prophecy begins with uh, words to the nations around Israel. Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, Tyre. All of these nations around Israel that are, in most cases, enemies of Israel. And here is Amos, who comes from the southern nation of Judah, into the northern nation of, e- of Israel to speak this prophecy. Now, when, a, when someone from Judah comes to Israel as a prophet, there's always a level of skepticism of what is this person going to say. I was trying to think of how we might equate it, and, and maybe in our current culture... It might be someone, a Democrat, coming and speaking a word of judgment on, at the Republican National Convention. Or a Republican doing the same thing at the Democratic National Convention. Who are you to talk to us? You go back to Judah. In chapter 7, he has this encounter with Amaziah, uh, the, the court prophet and the king. And they tell him, look, just go back to Judah. Go back to where you came from. Do your prophesying down there. And if you want to be a prophet, go down there and be a prophet. What's interesting is Amos says, I'm not a even a prophet. I, I'm not a prophet. I'm a shepherd. There's a good chance that he's probably an educated. Uh, he's in a management type role overseeing in, in the shepherding business, but he's a shepherd. He has no pr- prophetic credentials. He hasn't gone to prophetic university. He has no plaque on his wall, certificate that says he's licensed as a prophet in Israel. He's just a shepherd. 
But he has a word from God. And he's obedient to God. And so he goes and he shares. And at first, when, he hear, when the people hear he's talking about all the other nations, they said, okay, we'll listen to this. You can be a prophet here in Israel because you're talking about those people. God has a way of sneaking up on us like that, doesn't he? But then he turns his attention, and he talks about Judah a little bit, but, he, but then he turns his attention to Israel. And though the first chapter and a half are about these other nations, everything else in the book is about Israel. And he has some harsh things to say to Israel. You can understand when you start reading this, we just read snippets of it. You start reading this, you can understand why they said, go home, prophet. We don't want to hear this. And God pronounces his judgment on Israel through Amos. God says he is going to bring destruction on Israel. He is, their people are going to go into exile. There is going to be pain and suffering in Israel. And the reason God sends Amos, the reason for this prophecy is because of injustice. He's, he, he mentions uh, a little bit about idolatry. He mentions a little bit about uh, a few other things. But the primary premise, the primary problem in Israel is injustice. There is a, there is a segment of the population in Israel that is prosperous. They are comfortable. They are living easy lives. Everything is good for them. And at this time in Israel, it's sort of a prosperous time for those people. But they have built everything they have. They have built their prosperity. They have built their comfort and their ease on the backs of all of the other people. He talks about how they bribe judges to get the kind of verdicts that they want to increase their wealth and not hold them responsible. Talks about how they take the cloaks from people who owe them money and that was a practice. You could take the cloak, but you had to give it back at night so it didn't freeze to death. And they're not giving it back. These people are, are stealing sheep even though you look out the back window and they've got, a, they've got a pasture full of their own sheep. Helpless, vulnerable people are being taken advantage of and walked on and trampled in order so they can have more pro- prosperity, more wealth, more comfort, more ease. And God sends the prophet Amos to address that. What frightens me about this word of Amos is that when I, when I, I, I think that when you read about the people of God in the Old Testament, our, the New Testament and our parallel to that is the church. The church is the people of God. And when I listen to this prophecy, even though Israel has, since the division of the kingdom has sort of gone off the rails, they are still God's people. They're still a part of it. And when I think about when I think about the church and prosperity and comfort and ease, it's hard not to think about us. Every week we pray for the persecuted church. Places all over the world where God's people are in in great in dire distress and, and opposition and pain and suffering and Rarely, if ever, are we talking about North America. Do we feel some of the squeeze of a new culture arising? Yes. But we are prosperous and comfortable 
And we live in ease. I can't help but think there is something of Amos' words that we need to hear. This warning. And that's really what the prophecies are. The prophecies are warnings. Every prophet comes, not just so God can say, look, this is going to come upon you and there's nothing you can do about it. The reason the prophets show up and declare the warning and the judgment is so that people will change what they're doing and turn around. And so he comes with this prophecy. Unfortunately, they don't. And about 30 years later, the nation of Assyria comes and virtually wipes out Israel. But Amos comes and says, you can do something about this. And in chapter 5, Amos says, seek me, God. He says, this is the word of the Lord. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good, not evil, so that you may live. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Seek God. It's the word that David leaves with Solomon when he turns the kingdom over to him. He says, look, when it all boils down to it, it comes down to this. Seek God and he will bless you. Reject God and there will be consequences. To seek God, it's not this, it's not God playing a game with us where he's continually running away from us, hiding, and we have to try to find him. It's not like some cosmic Marco Polo game, you know, that we play in the pool where we're trying to find him. What he's talking about is this, we want God. We have a desire, a yearning for God. We want what God wants. We want the kingdom to be what God says it is. Our lives are shaped around God. It is the kind of seeking that you do when when you've lost something valuable. A piece of jewelry that's so special to you. It's a family heirloom. And you just saw it, but now you can't find it. And what do you do? We tear up the house trying to find it. Or that, that, that roll of cash that you hid and knew exactly the place where you'd be able to find it. And now you can't seem to remember where you put it. And you look everywhere, you know, you're going through drawers, pulling everything out, you're dragging things out of the closet, you're crawling under the bed, you go to the car, and of course when you get in the car, you find all kinds of things under the seat of the car, but you're not finding that, right? You're like, you're pulling up couch cushions, everything you can. That is, you're seeking, you're looking, you are desperate to find it, and that's what God calls us to do. This is the life of people who follow God. We seek Him. I think so often we have an image of being a follower of God as something we do, we can do half-heartedly and it's okay. God never says, if you, you follow me as little or much as you want, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, I, I, can, I, I can handle it. Just, just do whatever you want to do. He's continually telling us, seek me, seek me, seek me, yearn for me. Because the alternative to seeking is not half-hearted seeking. It's rejecting. What we're really talking about is, is what Scripture says and what our tradition talks about. We're really talking about holiness. 
It is the want to. It is, it is wanting to see and to think and to act the way God does. It is wanting to be like Jesus. We don't make ourselves like Jesus, but we want to be like Jesus. We desire to be like Jesus. And we spend our lives seeking God, yearning for God, wanting God. And that's proven out by how we live. What's important to us or our priorities. Holiness has a tendency, that word has a tendency to either confuse us or frighten us. I grew up in a, with a mindset that to be holy was to follow the rules. It was all about this list of rules, this checklist that you can and you can't do. And that's what it meant to be holy. It was about strictness and narrowness. But that was a twisted view of holiness. I mean, when you read the scriptures, to be holy is to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus is to embrace love as the revelation of the nature of God. It is to recognize that the heart of God's being is love. At the heart of who Jesus is, that he comes to reveal the nature of God is love. No, one is, no scholars are exactly sure why these 12 minor prophets are in the order they're in. You, know, you read about it, you get all kinds of opinions about it. They, they were, in, in, the, in the Hebrew manuscript, put into one scroll. They were called the 12. So they recognized that they had a connection. But no one knows why they're in the order they're in. They're not in chronological order. They're not from the, the largest book to the smallest or the smallest to the largest uh, or some other you know, way of large in the, the small, back to large. They, they just seem to be random, but I don't think anything in Scripture is random. It seems to me that when you read through them as a whole, there, there is a flow to them. And the love of God, the nature, the character of God is one of the things that, it, that these... Prophets reveal. They are telling us this is who God is. And so when we look at Hosea, he begins by setting the foundation. This is who God is. He is the God who loves us with such depth that he will pursue us anywhere, everywhere, all the time, no matter what we've done or haven't done. This is our God. He is a God who pursues us relentlessly. And Joel, despite the, all the talk about locusts, and, and, and the destruction, in the middle of that prophecy, he brings to the people's attention God's self-declaration to Moses. And he says, this is who God is. He is a God of compassion, who is slow to anger, abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. And now, Amos is saying, this is our God. Why is God so upset about injustice? Because he loves. Because he wants more for people than bondage and pain and living with the effects of evil and the consequences of evil. He wants to set people free in his loving grace. And that means that to live a life of holy love is to lament. It's to lament the pain and the agony and the brokenness and the hurt even when 
what we're seeing has no real effect on us. Even when the brokenness that's in front of us, even when the pain and the agony, even the consequences of evil that we see people wrestling with, even when it doesn't have a direct connection to us, it still ought to break our hearts. It ought to matter to us because it it matters to God. In the middle of this prophecy, chapter 7, God gives Amos a, some visions. First visions about locusts. God has this thing about locusts. He, they keep coming back in it, right? He, he, the locusts come and, and they destroy Israel. And then the next thing is about fire. And the balls of fire come and they destroy Israel. And after both of those, both of those visions, Amos who is from Judah. He has no personal connection to Israel at all. Says to God, Lord, please don't do that. Because Israel is small and vulnerable, and I'm not sure they can survive. And in fact, Amos uses first-person language. He says, God, I'm not sure we can survive. Amos is so concerned about Israel that he actually includes himself in this nation and includes himself in, in their pain and their heartache and their brokenness and, their, and, and the effects of evil that are so prevalent in their culture. He includes himself in this because he is so concerned about them and he's lamenting so deeply with them and it's what you see in jesus but in matthew 9 he looks on the crowd and he sees that they're harassed and they're helpless they're like sheep without a shepherd and he could have said well it's their own fault but he doesn't matthew tells us that jesus felt compassion for them deep in his gut The essence of his being, his heart was breaking for these people who were living with the consequences of sin and evil. And I think one of our issues is that we have a tendency to think, you know what, people got themselves into this. It's not our problem. What we we often will say is, I'm just glad I'm not having to deal with that. I'm glad that's their pain. I'm glad that's their problem. And sometimes even we pass judgment on people who are wrestling with stuff when we don't even know why they're wrestling with their stuff. And what we see in the prophet, what we see in Jesus as they reveal the heart of God is that he is calling us as his people to care, to lament, to feel the pain, even if it isn't our pain. It's one of the things that sets us apart as God's people. That we care even when we don't have to be involved. Even when we don't have to care, we care because God does. If God's heart is broken, our hearts are broken. And when our hearts are broken, when we begin to lament the pain of the world, it's a heavy thing. Sometimes it's overwhelming. 
you watch the news very much, you, you read the news, you, you listen to stories, and, and it becomes overwhelming, the pain and the agony and the heartache, and, and it's just too much. And sometimes it is, and we have to back away. And I think one of the reasons we wrestle like that is because there's something in us that says we have to do something about everything that's happening, but we don't. We just have to care and want to. And let God lead us. If our problem is we care about too much, God can help us. But if our problem is we care very little at all, then we are going to wrestle and struggle with God. And the answer is not for us to solve every problem. The answer is for us to be willing to lament the pain, to feel the brokenness, and to do whatever God calls us to do. To take risks, to get involved. We read in Matthew 25 that Jesus says to to those who he calls righteous, that they are actively involved in the brokenness and the pain that this world of evil has created. He doesn't tell us how they became, how they came to those places. He doesn't tell us that if it was their own fault, if their own sinfulness that got them there or someone else's. But it really doesn't matter at that point. The point is here are hurting people and they are helped. There's involvement. Love always is involvement. Love always is risk-taking. Love always is sacrifice. That's one of the ways we know it's love. Jesus, John says that God so loved the world that he felt bad about the world and wished he could do something. God so loved the world that he gave, he came, he lived, he died. The prophet Isaiah tells us That God so loved the world that he sent the Messiah. And when the Messiah came, he took our punishment upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. We step back and we think about this and it's overwhelming. And it, it feels sometimes like it's more than we know what to do with. And that's why I think the last section of this prophecy, the end of chapter 9, is vital to to understanding this. It's vital to, to embracing what Amos is calling us to. When you get to the end of the prophecy, he says this, In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David, repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I'll rebuild it, restore its former glory. The time will come when the grain and the grapes will go faster than they can be harvested. The terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I'll bring my exiled people back from distant lands. They'll rebuild their ruined cities and live in them again. They'll plant vineyards and gardens. They'll eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. And they will never again be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. This is a prophecy of restoration. And the key point of that prophecy is where it begins in that day. The day is coming when God will do what he designed for creation from the beginning. 
He will restore and rebuild and, and he will bring his people to what he created them to experience from the beginning before sin corrupted it. It will be abundance and blessing and restoration and healing and grace. And it will be glorious. On that day when Jesus comes and he puts everything to right. And that's what gives us the courage to be the kind of people God calls us to be. Because we know that day is coming. And we want to be agents of God's grace and healing on this day. Because in the grace of God, we get to experience some of that day even now. We get to experience the blessing of God now. We get to experience the grace and the joy of God now. And the calling on the church is to be God's agents so that other people experience his healing, his grace, his mercy, his love. So that people around us see Christ in us and understand that Christ can be in them too. And it starts with a willingness for us to let God break our hearts. As Bob Pierce said, Lord, break my heart for the things that break yours. We lament over the pain of the world. We let ourselves feel the brokenness and the hurt. And we seek God so that we might be people who minister his grace in the midst of all this brokenness. We delayed the prayer time today because it seemed to me that it might be good for us to pray now. To perhaps offer prayers of confession, prayers of lament, to ask God to break our hearts and to use our prayers as a way of caring about the brokenness and the pain and the struggles of so many people in this world. So as we pray together, you might want to come to the altar, rail and kneel. You might want to kneel in your seat or feel free to sit where you are. We're going to take a few moments of silence to confess our sins, to ask God to break our hearts, and then to pray about the needs of our world. If you want to come or kneel, please invite you to join me now. Father, hear our prayers of confession, of lament, of seeking. 
Father, forgive us for the sin that so easily entangles us. Forgive us for our willingness to look away. Forgive us resisting you. Give us the courage to lament, to feel the brokenness and the pain that you feel. Father, make us people who are so filled with you that holy love is what pours out of us. Father, we know the world has, is filled with brokenness and pain and agony and bondage. So today, Father, we, we want to tell you we care. It's important to us. And we pray that you will work miraculously in our world. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in the Central Africa Republic and places like that where they face such horrific opposition. We ask that you would strengthen them and encourage them. And may somehow through your spirit, may they be aware of our prayers for them today. Our love. We pray, Father, for Joel and Barb and the work that they are doing to, in literacy to, to help people live more fulfilled lives and, and to, to know you and your word. And we pray your blessing upon them. Give them strength for, for the tasks that are before them and wisdom and your grace. Father, we pray for our world that, where there is war and threats of war. We ask that you would bring peace because we know that in times of war and in the threats of war, it is the most vulnerable people, innocent people who suffer. Father, we pray for all who have been affected by the recent hurricanes and earthquakes. Our heart breaks for those who are grieving for all that's been lost, for all that, that uh, all the life change and the devastation. Lord, we pray that, that you will rescue and heal and restore. And Father, may your people, and that includes us, be a part of, of the process of, of helping to be hands and feet and, and concern and love in these places of great devastation. Father, we pray for the, the growing racial divide in our nation. Whatever our perspective may be about the events that are unfolding, one thing we know, there are people who are hurting, there are people who are living with brokenness and injustice, and we pray that you will bring Justice, that you will bring healing, that you will bring reconciliation and restoration. And that even if we aren't affected immediately by it, we care enough to do whatever we can do to bring peace and to bring healing. 
Father, we, we pray for the needs right around us. People who are struggling, people who are, who are caught in, in all the ways of evil and the consequences of evil. And we pray that you will allow us to be your presence, your agents in their lives. Father, we pray for the Little Valley Wesleyan Church and Pastor Butcher as they seek to be beacons of hope and light in their community. Give them all that they need to be just that. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the privilege of being your agents in this world. May we go forth in the spirit of Christ. In whose name we pray. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 